5:22-33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the gift of family. Thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for this spectacular passage that um, teaches us um, all about what a marriage ought to look like. And so, Father, as um, we come here, um, a number of those here are married. A number here are not married. And so, whether we are married or unmarried, would you allow this passage to speak to our hearts? Would you allow it to shape who we ought to be now and um, allow it to shape us who we ought to be in the future? And we um, give this time to you and ask that you would draw our hearts to you. And we pray this and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So we are starting a new sermon series called Marriage and Family. Um, We're going to be in it for the next eight weeks. Um, and uh, so I realize that not everyone here is married, um, and uh, that's okay. And, and here's the reason why. Many of you will someday be married. Um, many of you might be raising children that will someday be married, and so it might be helpful to have some tools to pass on to them. And so I, I feel like this, whatever walk of life you might be in, um, that this will be helpful and beneficial. Um, and, and if anything at all, it's in the Bible. So we should probably read it and apply it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So um, my stepdad is a, a builder. He builds very beautiful homes. And every once in a while, um, he'll uh, show me the blueprints of one of the houses that he is building. And so if you've never looked at a set of blueprints, here's a couple things you need to know about them. They are not like a 9 by 11 um, sheet of paper. They are massive in size. They're several pages thick. And here's what you will find on each page. On each page, there is a a one-dimensional, not three-dimensional, a one-dimensional kind of black and white or black and blue, whatever you want to call it here, one-dimensional picture of just part of the house with all of these very specific measurements, like down to an eighth of an inch. 
Um, and, and then you turn the, the page and there's another part of the house. Um, maybe it's the garage or maybe it's the first floor. Maybe it's the front of the house or the back of the house. And so blueprints are literally just a stack of these massive plans that tell you very specifically how to build each little part of the house. Um, and when you find some blueprints, here's what you won't find, or at least the blueprints I've seen. I'm no expert here by any means. You will not find like a three-dimensional, in-color, kind of panoramic shot of the house in its final form. And the reason why is because that's not what blueprints are for. Blueprints are not to give you like, you know how the drone will go up and take all these spectacular photos of houses? Um, That is not the purpose of, of blueprints. The purpose is to show you how to build a strong, sturdy house that will build that will last a lifetime. And so my analogy here is this that Ephesians 5 here, this passage that Megan just read for us, it is it is the blueprints for your marriage. It is how to build your marriage and build it in such a way that it will last and it will be firm and it will and it will continue to go and go and go and be a blessing to your family. So it's it's the blueprints of marriage. But but here's what we're going to do this morning. This morning um I'm going to get in the drone here. So, so my mom is a real estate agent. My mom and my stepdad, they make a pretty good team. He builds, she sells. And so when she goes and sells the house, she does not get all of the blueprints and puts them on the flyers or puts them in the pictures that you find on Redfin and Zillow and all that. That's just not helpful for home buyers. What they want is they want someone to get a remote-controlled drone and fly up to the perfect angle and take shots of the house. They even have it where they'll take drones inside the house and like do these virtual videos and all that, but this analogy is getting away from me. My point is this. This morning, instead of us looking at the blueprint details of this passage, um, fun things like wives submit and, and husbands love, I know that you wanted me to get to that today, I'm pushing that out a little bit further, Um, so you're going to want to come to that one. Um, We're going to talk also about intimacy in marriage, and we're going to use this text, but here's what I want to do. I want us to kind of get in the drone, come above this text, and, and really see it in its final, beautiful, panoramic view, final form. And we're going to look at three things because this passage, amongst other things, it teaches us three things. It teaches us the purpose of marriage, the pattern of marriage, and the power of marriage. So are you guys ready? The purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? Let me just, don't answer this out loud because it could go badly. What is the purpose of your marriage? What is, if you would look at your spouse, don't do it now, but maybe later, and you'd ask the question, what is the purpose of our marriage? What would it be? When I do premarital counseling, that is usually one of the first questions I will ask couples. Um, I, I don't ask, what is the purpose of your marriage? I ask, why do you want to get married? What's the motive? What's the meaning? What's the purpose? Why do you want to get married? Married. Now, before I tell you what they typically tell me, let's, let's, get what, let, let's look at Scripture here. Um, Paul, here at the end of this passage, in Ephesians 5.31, 
Paul quotes from the foundational passage in all of scripture on marriage. He's quoting from Genesis chapter two. He's quoting from the very first marriage. He's quoting the words that God spoke himself. And and right here we find the purpose of marriage. There's gonna be two purposes, by the way, here. Trick question, there's not one, there's always two. Um, The first purpose is this. Look at what Paul says. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. So you've got to cut that umbilical cord, husbands. And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I want to talk about this phrase here. Hold fast. Because right there, that, that, that is the purpose of marriage. Hold fast. In the Greek here, this, this word literally means glue. You glue yourself to them, like the really strong glue, not Elmer's, like the stuff that once you're stuck, you're stuck for good. Um, In the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament was not written in Greek. The book of Genesis was not written in Greek. The book of Genesis was written in Hebrew. This Hebrew word, um, the King James translates it cleave. That's fun. Cleave. Let's just say it together. Cleave. Cleave. It's a great translation because that Hebrew word for cleave or this Hebrew word for hold fast, it literally means to enter into a binding covenant. My pastor, Ken Mitchell, when he did our wedding, it's the first wedding I've ever been to where he was doing it, and it was my own. I've been to a number of weddings after that where he's officiated, and he starts the ceremony the same way every single time. And here's what he says. He says something to the effect of this. You are not making a contract. You are not making a promise. You are making a binding covenant with your spouse. You are saying that you will be with them till death do you part. Period. And that's the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is to enter into a binding covenant that never ever ends till death do you part. So, so if, if it's riches or maybe it's poverty or maybe there's sickness or maybe you get health, whatever it is, it is death till you part. Now, there's a side note in which we could preach a whole another sermon and I'm kind of reworking some of the end of this sermon series and I'm wondering if we should preach a sermon on divorce because Jesus talks about how there's grounds for divorce. So like, how does this work with, with the grounds for divorce? I'm not going there today. I'm not going to this place where God, where Jesus gives grounds for divorce. Where I'm beginning here is this place where the purpose of marriage is this forever covenant. This binding covenant that you are making. Now let's just pause here for a moment and and compare this to our culture in the way the culture would tell us the purpose of marriage, what the purpose of marriage is. So like I said, I ask couples, why do you want to get married? And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time their answer goes something like this. I love them so much. I just love them so much. And it's in their eyes. I mean, I'm not questioning. I don't judge them. I don't look at them and go, I don't do that. Like you can see it in their eyes. They are so in love with them. The chemistry is just, oh, it's beautiful. But, But here's the deal. The purpose of marriage 
is not chemistry. It's covenant. The purpose of marriage is not, I love you so much right here, right now. The purpose of marriage is, I will love you. Not just now when we're like kissing each other and can't stop looking at each other and it just gets weird and awkward for other people. Not just, not just in that moment, but, but I am going to love you and be loving to you. When you're just flat out ticking me off. The purpose of marriage is not present love. It's future love, guys. It's, it's your commitment and it's your covenant to be loving, to be merciful, to be gracious, to be forgiving, to be loving till the very, very end. Now, let's just think for a moment. If this is the purpose of marriage, if the purpose of marriage is this forever binding covenant... There's an assumption attached to that, and there's some implications that are attached to that. The assumption is this. If, if, if the purpose of marriage is a forever binding covenant, what's the assumption? The assumption is there's going to be moments where you're going to want to break it off. Maybe it takes a decade or two. But the, is that not the assumption? The assumption is you are going to hit a season in your marriage where you're going to go... You know what? Maybe we should just maybe we just be better separate. So so the assumption is that you're going to hit hard times. The assumption is that you might hit a number of hard times. So so when that happens to you in your marriage and, and praise God if it hasn't happened yet, but some of you you maybe you're past that, maybe you're right in the middle of that. So when that comes, here's where you need to go. You need to go to the purpose of marriage. The implications, now there's an implication to the purpose of marriage. The implication is this, you just keep fighting. Maybe not them, but maybe for your marriage. But you, ju- you, you do what, excuse me, you do what 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, the famous passage on love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and then here's this last part, endures all things. That's the implications, friends. If the purpose of marriage is a binding covenant forever, the implications are you just keep going. You endure all things, and you endure them Together, You endure them through tears and hardship. You endure them through counseling or maybe years of counseling or maybe tens of thousands of dollars of counseling. But you, en- you endure. So there's another purpose to marriage. Though. So purpose number one is it is a binding covenant that lasts forever. Purpose number two. Look at this passage with me. Notice the language. Husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, now pay attention to this. 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So here we see a second purpose of marriage. But before we, before we point this out, let me just ask this question. I think this is a helpful question that will lead us to this. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've trusted Him. You've allowed Him to forgive you of your your sins. He is your Savior. He has made you right. Okay, now that you are in that relationship with Jesus Christ, what is Jesus' purpose for your life? What what does Jesus want to do in your life and, and through your life? Does He not want... To make you like him? If you go to the book of Ephesians, if you just go back to the beginning of chapter 5, that's where Paul begins. Paul says, hey, now that you call yourselves Christians, now you're on a road to to becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, Now you are on the road to become more loving, more gracious, more merciful, more compassionate, more forgiving, you are on your path to be more and more like Jesus. Is, is that, can you just nod your heads with me? I'm just sometimes wondering if you're with me or not. Maybe this is too heavy for you or maybe there's all kinds of conviction or maybe there's conviction you want your spouse to be. I don't know. So just kind of nod with me here. Is that like Jesus wants to do that in your life. Amen? Amen. And Paul is saying that is the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is not to find a spouse that will complete you, but will help you. That, but will, the purpose of marriage is to find a spouse that will partner with Jesus in making you more complete for Jesus. So the purpose of marriage is not to find a savior, Okay? The purpose of marriage is for your spouse to partner with the Savior to make you more like the Savior. So, so how many of you, this, this, is, this, is, this gets real. How many of you really enjoy when your spouse speaks the truth in love to you on how you can be more like Jesus? How's that go? How's, how's, that, how's that go? Usually it's more like, Oh, yeah, thanks for finding the speck in my eye. You know what? I see a big old log in yours. Okay, okay, you want to talk it? Like, I won't give examples in my marriage here because our marriage is perfect and has no problems, right? Um, since I didn't ask permission to, to share any stories, and so I'm going to try not to this morning. And she's not even in children's. She's here this morning. And so um, now this sermon got a lot more hard to preach. Um, <laughs> So we don't, maybe we don't like that, but that's what Paul is saying the purpose of marriage is. The purpose of marriage is that your spouse will partner with Jesus and make you more and more and more like Jesus. Will make you more loving, more forgiving, more compassionate. And here's what you will find. There is no one in the world that will give you more opportunities to be like Jesus than your spouse. Amen? Yeah? It's okay. They're saying the same thing about you. It's fine. 
And, and let's just pause again and think about our culture. What does our culture say? What, what does our culture say the purpose of marriage is? I, I couldn't help but think of this, and maybe the, I'm the only one who goes here. Now, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't love watching romantic comedies. Okay, it's like every once in a while, like I'll, I'll, I'll go there. Um, but I'm, I'm not proud about watching any of them. But so w- when you think about like the most notorious um, movie quotes, or at least movie quotes in the genre of like um, of romantic comedies, or that romantic feel. I mean, like obviously, The Notebook has got a couple of hits here and there. Um, but tell me if you remember this one, because this line captures the theme of every romantic comedy, and the line goes something like this: "You complete me." Do you remember that? Remember what movie it was from? Anybody? Yeah, no shame. There you go. Some of you are like, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about, though I watched that movie last week. Um, you know what's interesting? So, so that, that's, the theme, that's the theme of every romantic comedy. I don't know if you know that, but watch the movie, and the theme is, if I just get with them, my life will be complete. And, until, and the whole movie is the buildup of how their life is not complete and actually a complete wreck um, without them. But once they get them, their life, it's somehow perfect and complete. And they typically end the movie right when they get together. Okay? And if they're going to do a sequel, what's the sequel? The sequel is typically things just go badly. And that's the sequel of pretty much every marriage. Like it's just, it's, it, because the theme is not you complete me. But here's what's ironic. You know what's ironic? I was thinking about this movie scene in my head. Do you know where the movie scene takes place? It's the very end of the movie, and Tom Cruise is, is the main character, and there's that other gal. I think it starts with Catherine, and um, she's, she's the wife. No, it's not Catherine. I'm proud that I do not know the other main actor, friends. I don't want to know. So here's the scene. Do you know the scene? He comes in. Their marriage is a disaster. He comes in to this house, and there's a little meeting going on with, with all of the, the friends of this, this wife. It's actually her sister's friends. Do you know what the meeting is about? It's a divorcee club. It's a divorcee club, and they are all talking about how their husbands failed them and how horrible men are. And and here's what's ironic. What's ironic is everything that they are saying is spot on because their whole arguments and their whole banter is all about how their husband could not complete them, but they were so shocked and so crazed how, how they couldn't do it because we were completing our husband. And so it's in the midst of this divorcee club and Tom Cruise runs in and everybody gets silent and they're on the opposite ends of the room and, and, and Tom Cruise has this incredible speech that is extraordinarily cheesy and the end of it is it is said with such just dramatic tone. You, and his voice is shuddering. You complete me. And then what does she say? Do you remember what she says? I'm acting this whole thing out right now. What does she say? What? No, not you had me at hello. You're jumping the gun, Ed. You're going to all watch this movie. What does she say? Shut up. Just shut up. Just shut up. And it's just super emotional. And the divorcee club is just sitting there, you know, watching this whole thing. And she's saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. And, And Tom Cruise is like, well, I blew it. I better leave. That was a good effort. But before he does, she says, you had me at hello. 
And the divorcee club, who ironically had it all correct that their husbands couldn't complete them, just applaud and they're crying and hugging each other. You see that? That's how it's supposed to be. That's never how it goes, friends. Your spouse won't complete you. Not even close. Your spouse will test your anger and your bitterness and your resentment more than anyone else. The purpose of your marriage is not that your spouse would complete you. But let me just ask you this. Have you bought into that lie without even knowing it? Where your hope, your joy, your, your own personal purpose in life hangs on your spouse completing you. They are not there to complete you. They are there to partner with Jesus to make you more and more like Him. More and more like Him. And so I I don't think this is spouses. I don't think it's your opportunity to have free reign to go, you know what, I'm just giving you more opportunities to to be like Jesus. That's why I did this wrong. Now you've got to forgive me. Or or, let me point out the wrongs that you've been doing. I I don't think that like you get to be the spokesperson for Jesus now. Because it doesn't mean that. But But the implications are this. The implications that if... If, if the purpose of your marriage is that your spouse partners with Jesus to make you more like Jesus, the implications is this. That you are going to be given opportunities to forgive like Jesus forgave. You're going to be given opportunities to be selfless like Jesus was selfless. You're going to be given opportunities to be gracious and to be merciful, to be a servant like Jesus is and did. And so may we go do that. May we go do that. Let's move on to the pattern of marriage. What is, what is the pattern of marriage? So um, before we get there, when you look at the book of Ephesians here, and, and you can even see it, at least with the commands of the husband, and if we went back and talked about the commands of the wife, All of these commands that are given to the husband. Husbands, love your wife. That's a command. And then we are given a pattern. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then there's a command that that you would sanctify her. And and then the pattern is that, that Jesus did this for the church. And the same is true for the husbands, um, or excuse me, for the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands, and what is the pattern? The pattern is the relationship we have with Christ. And so, the pattern of our marriage, the pattern of your marriage, is the gospel. That, that you are to pattern the way that you treat your spouse after the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, Philippians 2 is one of my favorite passages. And here's the reason why. is because um, it is one of the most concise um, uh, pictures of the gospel we see. It's like, it's all, I, I almost call it like the, the gospel in bullet points. Because it just tells you the gospel is this, this, and this. And then you're left going, that's amazing. So, so 
This is the pattern we should live after. This is the pattern Christ has given us. It says, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So here's the picture. Jesus is in heaven with God. They are equal. They they are completely equal in power and authority. They, They are both fully and completely God together. And Jesus says, I'm gonna give that up. I'm gonna give it up. I'm going to take my power and I'm going to leverage it for humanity. And it says, but, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the gospel is that Christ came down from heaven, gave up his position and lowered himself and he became a what? A servant. And he became obedient to death. Death, friends. Death. Death. For you and I. And the apostle Paul says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Act like that in your marriage. Take your power, take your authority, take the position you have or you think you have and lower it and leverage it to serve the other person all the time, all the time, to the point of death. Isn't that at least what he says to husbands? This is the pattern of of our marriages. This should be the pattern of your marriage. Act like Jesus. Treat your spouse the way that Jesus treated you. Now again, thinking about culture, how does culture tell us to pattern our marriages? And I I, I don't know if culture tells us as much as, um, as much as our life story pushes us in this direction. Most marriages, here's what I found. When I do premarital counseling, here's what I found. They usually think they have it figured out. Like it's, it's, it's impressive how the groom-to-be and the bride-to-be, they've already got it figured out. They know the wife they ought to be. They know the husband they ought to be. They know the wife their wife ought to be and the husband their husband ought to be. You know why they notice this? Why they know this? Because they saw the pattern in their own home. And that can be either really, really good if your parents had a marriage that was patterned after the gospel, or it can be very, very dangerous when the marriage was not patterned off the gospel. And so um, when, when I do premarital counseling, what I find is it's more deconstructing what they think marriage should be like. Your parents might not be the perfect pattern. But you know what is the perfect pattern? The gospel. And so, so we, may we pattern our marriages after the gospel. Now let's talk lastly about the power of marriage. And, and let's just pause for a moment. 
So, so far we've talked about the fact that the purpose of marriage is that this doesn't end. You just keep going. Through hell and high water, you just keep going. Um, We also talked about the fact that the purpose of marriage is for your spouse to partner with Jesus to make you more and more like Jesus, okay? So So there's that verse in Proverbs, iron sharpening iron. So that's the picture, so if you've, if you've ever, like, iron sharpened iron, so, like, I, I, I like to chop wood. We have a wood-burning stove, so I chop wood in the springtime, and I've got to sharpen the axe. And you know what happens? I take this little, you know, brick thing, and I take the, the axe, and I just, I shave it off. And, and what happens is, is the pieces of the axe are just going everywhere. Like, it's, it's a painful picture. It's not, it's not, it's not pretty, Okay. <laughs> So, so, so far, you know, good news. Marriage is supposed to laugh even if it's really, really difficult. Your spouse is there to partner with Jesus to make you more like Jesus. And then on top of that, you are to be like Jesus in the way that you um, treat your spouse. So the bar is kind of set high. Yeah? Amen? We got some work to do, right? So, so here's what we naturally do. Here's what I naturally do. I go, man, I should go buy a book on marriage. That would be really, really helpful. And I should just go do it. And then I wake up in the morning and I say, you know, I'm going to, I, I do. Sometimes I tell my, I, I'm going to be a good, I'm going to be a great husband today. I'm going to be a great father today. And I, you know what? I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I, I, I do some really helpful self-talk even on the way home. You know, I kind of go through it in my mind. Okay, I got to be prepared for what's on the other side of this. Melissa's been with, you know, the children all day long. You know, it, it, anything goes here. We don't know what happens sometimes. And, and so I enter through the door and, and, and it only takes about 10 minutes before I realized, wow, that self-talk wasn't, wasn't as helpful as I thought it would be. Like that pep talk only got me so far. Can we just be honest? It's hard to be a godly spouse. Amen. It's hard to love yourself. It's hard to forgive your spouse when they've sinned against you. Amen. Is that hard? It's hard not to be bitter. It's hard to serve them when you are exhausted. And you know you're more exhausted than they are. You know it, right? Yeah? Yeah, why are the ladies speaking up right now? Men, way to keep your mouth shut. Yeah, them. It's hard. Here's the truth. You, You can't do it by yourself. So what is the power of marriage? Um, Let me just state it, and then I'll take you to this passage. The power of marriage is to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you are able to do. Now, I'm going to say something. I took this straight from Tim Keller because he's just got some of the most brilliant things when it comes to marriage. He uses this phrase, love philanthropy. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we are able to do love philanthropy. So, okay, let's, let's talk. There's two parts here. There's the Holy Spirit part, and then there's this really cool phrase, love philanthropy, that doesn't quite make sense to you quite yet. So, the, the passage begins. Um, we started reading verse 22 this morning, where it says, Wives submit. To husbands, very popular verse. You see it on the back of bumper stickers all the time. Why well, submit to your husbands? Um, the verse before that is this verse. 
Submitting to one another. So everyone is supposed to submit to everyone out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so that's verse 21, and it leads into verse 22. Verse 21 is, is really a, a foundation that 22 through 32 builds upon. Frankly, verse 21, submitting yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ, is the foundation for um, Ephesians 5.22 all the way through 6.9. Um, uh, that's the foundation for husband-wife. Children, parents, and then workplace. That, that's what Paul does for the remainder of almost the rest of the book of Ephesians. Verse 21 is kind of build off of that. Submit yourselves to one another here. But listen to this. Verse 21 is the last clause in a very long sentence. You cannot have, verse 21, you cannot submit yourself to another person without doing what Paul says we ought to do at the very beginning of this sentence. The sentence starts in verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And here's the phrase, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? We could go a number of different directions But here's one of the specific roles the Holy Spirit does in your life. John 16 talks about this. But Ephesians chapter 3, again, Paul's just kind of building upon himself here. Back in Ephesians chapter 3, the very end of it, um, verse 17 through 21, Paul tells us that the role of the Holy Spirit is to take the things that you know to be true about Jesus... Many of you, you know that Jesus has forgiven you of all of your sins. Amen? Amen. You know that Jesus loves you. Amen? Amen? You know that Jesus loves you so much, he died for you. The Holy Spirit takes all of these truths that you, you know to be true in your head. And what the Holy Spirit does is he takes the things that you know to be true in your head and he moves them to your heart and allows you to experience the absolute fullness of them. He, he, the Holy Spirit takes head knowledge about, about the gospel and moves it into experiential understanding. He moves it from something you know to something you feel. You know that, right? There's a difference between you knowing love and you feeling love. Amen? Yeah, you understand that? The Holy Spirit's job in your life is to take the things you know to be true about Jesus and allow you to feel them and experience them and fill your heart to where your heart starts overflowing. That's why the next verse in verse 19, it says, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, let me just ask you a question. Who does this? How many people do you know? Who does this? They just go around singing hymns and spiritual songs and and melodies. Who does this? First of all, not enough people. Not enough. You know who does it? It's people who feel. 
It's people whose hearts are so full with a love for Jesus that they just start singing. You ever do that? My go-to song is, Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I won't sing it for you because that, it's, it's bad. We were, talk, we, were, we were talking about this at community group. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? We sing because our heart is so full. We, we sing because the, 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 the truths of our words, of our language is not enough. And so we sing. And so when you're in love with someone, you can't help but sing. We were, we were talking about this, how, how when you, you know, when I first started dating Melissa, I, oh my goodness, I'm still head over heels for her. But those beginning months, oh my goodness, I, my heart, I would literally, from my drive from where I lived to her house, um, where she lived, um, it was about an eight minute drive. And I would put like the same two songs on, um, on my way there. And then the same song on the way back. I don't think you've heard of any of them, but you know what they were about? They were about love. And I just sang them. I was so fired. Even like, this was after the first month. I was so fired up. I was so, my heart was full with love. And it even got to the point where I wrote her a song, friends. And I sang her a song. And you will never, ever hear it, ever. (laughs) Ever. And in fairness to me, she wrote me a poem. Who does that? People whose hearts are so full with experiential love, they can't help but let it out. The role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to take the love of Jesus Christ that he has for you and you have for him and bring it alive. Absolutely, bring it alive. And here's what will happen. If your heart is overflowing with a love and a joy, you're just singing hymns and gospel songs and quoting scripture. When your heart is overflowing with a love for Jesus Christ, you can do what's called love philanthropy. You know what a philanthropist is? Philanthropist. I think I'm saying it right. I asked my wife, is this how you pronounce it? And she's the wrong person to ask. Um, and we were just, we love philanthropist. You know what a philanthropist is? I used to, this is what I thought. A philanthropist is, is someone who is generous. That's not totally true. That, that's not true. Because there are generous people who are not technically philanthropists. Philanthropists are people who have so much money coming in over here. They have millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars coming in from over here. It enables them to freely give tens of millions and hundreds of millions away over here. They're not investing. They're literally writing checks and going, I expect nothing in return. The power of marriage is that when you are so full of the Holy Spirit, you are so filled with this waterfall of love that you have from and in Christ. It's just being poured out upon you that it enables you to give love to your spouse when maybe they're not giving it back. It enables you 
to love them when they're not being the spouse they ought to be. It enables you to forgive them. It enables you to serve them. It enables you to be gracious to them. And here's the deal. If you, if you don't have this Holy Spirit power, you don't have the power of the gospel pouring into your life, you, listen, you are only able to love someone so much without them loving you back. It's, it's, it's human in us, guys. You cannot last by loving someone, loving someone, loving someone, loving someone, and they don't love you back at all. And you have no other source of love. But here's, this is the power of the gospel. This is why the gospel is such good news, is that it will empower you to love others even when they're not loving you back. It enables you to love and serve, and listen to this, to die for your spouse when they're not reciprocating. And you're able to do that because of the gospel. Do you have that power? Are you being filled with that power? Here's the implications of that truth. Here's the implications. The implication is this. Priority number one in your life is your walk with Christ. Because if, if you are not walking in a Holy Spirit filled, your heart overwhelmed with love for Jesus Christ, if, if you don't have that, it will take a toll on your marriage. Do not neglect your walk with Christ. Do not neglect getting alone with him. Do not neglect prayer. Do not neglect the faith family, the church, the local church. Don't, do not neglect God's word. Don't neglect these things. So the purpose, the pattern, and the power. And here's how I want to end. I just want to end by, by having you meditate upon a few questions. And our worship team is going to come up here. And I want you to just meditate on this. And, and meditate on it and then why don't you ask your spouse these questions today? Maybe on the way home, maybe tonight. What have we made the purpose of our marriage? Ask that question of one another. What, what, functionally, what is the purpose of our marriage? Is it, is it to, to get our kids to school and, and put food on the table? A lot of times, the purpose of your marriage is, is to raise a family. That's not, that's not, that's not going to last. Is it chemistry? Is it you complete me? Or is the purpose of your marriage growing one another in Christ? And then ask yourself this question. What is the pattern of your marriage? Are you loving and serving and treating your spouse the way that Jesus Christ loves and serves and treats you? And then lastly... Are you finding your main source of love in your spouse or in Jesus by the power of the Spirit? You're not going to be able to love your spouse really, really well. Like you need to. Like they need you to. You are not going to be able to love your spouse like they need you to. Unless you have the Spirit at work in your life. 
And so I just want to give a moment here. We're just going to sit in quietness, and I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you need to, to, to repent and ask God forgiveness. Ask God because you've made the purpose of your marriage your children, or you've made the purpose of your marriage chemistry, or you've made the purpose of your marriage something else altogether. You've made the pattern of your marriage about you. And maybe just ask the things that God might be asking you to to repent of. Let's just sit in quietness on that. Before we move into worship, I, I want to just admit that in some ways this sermon ends with some of you feeling grief. Some of you feeling like, I've got this, but my spouse isn't here. And even if they did hear this, they, you know, they wouldn't listen. And so some of you, you hear this, and, and this, this might actually add more pain. And I... In the moments you can't trust your spouse or in the moments you can't trust the season you're in, would you trust God? Would you trust that God can heal this? Would you trust that God can be at work? And next week, we're going to have a guest speaker, actually, and, and he's going to be talking about how some of you might be right now, where you're in a season where you... This stuff that we all talk about, it sounds good, but you don't even know the first step out. You're, you're, you're so, you're just in the bottom of the pit. You're in the bottom of all of this conflict. You don't know the way out. And so that's what next week's sermon is about. And, I, and, I, and I'm hoping that it will bring those of you who are hurting or struggling to, to a place to have a bit of a compass on how, how to take some next steps on this. But I just want to say, I know that some of you are hurting. And I just would encourage you to trust God. I would encourage you to come back and know that this is not the end of the sermon series. There's more that God wants to teach us. And at this time, as we, as we begin to worship, I, I want to invite you to two things. One is we have the communion table. This morning, it's only to my left. Um, and I would encourage you to come and, and take communion. It's an opportunity to be reminded that Jesus broke his body and he poured out his blood for us. That's what the bread signifies, his body broken and, and the cup, his blood that he spilled. And, and maybe even take communion with your spouse this morning. And some of you, maybe you need prayer. And I would encourage you to go and receive prayer. We're going to have a prayer team over by uh, to the right there in the back, my right. And would you please have the courage to go and receive prayer? But let us stand and, and sing and make melody and, and fill our hearts with a love and praise for our Savior. Amen.